Asshole Court is a bi-weekly podcast in which a group of lifelong friends choose a controversial public figure and examine their history through available public records and various publications to determine if that person is as much of an asshole as the general public suspects. We rate the subjects on a not-so-scientific scale, ranging from Mr. Rogers to Hitler, 1 to 11, and average out the three scores in the end for our final number. Just a reminder, our judgment has no legal weight, is strictly an opinion, and is subject to change at any time, especially in the case of new evidence. It shouldn't be taken seriously, so just don't. There are a couple surefire ways I know of to piss off your average American baby boomer. One is to tell them that they don't deserve their social security checks. The other is to question the narrative of the subject of today's show. For as long as I can remember, and up until fairly recently, John Lennon's legacy as a musician and human being was practically unquestionable. If you grew up in the second half of the 20th century, it was basically a foregone conclusion that the Beatles were the most important rock band that had ever existed, and John Lennon was largely responsible for this. Like some kind of real-life Bill and Ted, Lennon and Paul McCartney had used their music to forever change the world for the better. There just wasn't room to state otherwise. And the importance of his role as principal songwriter for the Beatles, along with McCartney, simply crowded out any need for examination into his personal life or behavior. What did it really matter in the grand scheme of things, right? Kind of like how nobody really gives JFK too much shit for being a bit of a slut and a horrible husband. It wasn't all that important in context with the Cuban Missile Crisis. Plus, there's the whole assassination thing they share, and as we all know, if you get murdered at a relatively young age, your public approval score tends to go up a good bit. But recently, the dogmatic view of Lennon as a quasi-saint and agent of change has started to give way to an entire generation of people who, all these decades later, are struggling to view the Beatles and Lennon in the same historically important light. Now the harder questions are being asked. In fact, one of our listeners, Shaggy24, recently requested that we talk about John Lennon. Sure, the Beatles made some great music, but were Lennon and crew really all that important for the peace movement and the cultural revolution? And even if a guy like John Lennon was as culturally important as he's been made out to be by an entire generation, is it possible that he was also a flawed individual? Is it possible that Boomer Jesus really wasn't a peaceful guy at all and actually kind of a dick? We'll examine all of that and more on today's episode of Asshole Court. All right, so let's get started with preliminary scores. Who wants to start? I'll go for it. So uh, unless you were born under a rock and have not seen sunlight in the past 50 years, you know about John Lennon, you know about the Beatles. Sure, of course. I've got to split John Lennon into two parts. You have Beatles John Lennon, and then you have post-Beatles John Lennon. True. Mm -hmm. Beatles John Lennon is the one I think everybody's kind of known and learned to love over the years, but then post-Beatles John Lennon is kind of where some of his, we'll just leave it for now as questionable behavior set in mm -hmm. as far as an asshole score goes definitely don't think he killed anyone or anything like that but some of his propensities with women and just kind of his general overall kind of fuck you to the world could be a positive view from one person and then on the other side could definitely not be viewed quite as positive i'll keep it pretty short and sweet i'm going to give lennon a pre-show score of a 6.5 okay wow all, all right. right so 
I know a lot of the Beatles songs, but I don't really know much about any of the individuals themselves. Mm -hmm. At least going into the show, I didn't. Right. I remember hearing stuff about him being like snarky and just kind of full of himself, mm -hmm. but I never really had anything to base that off of. It's just kind of, you know, hearsay at this point. As I've learned through this process, you have everybody who is either on Team John or Team Paul. True. And maybe those camps are starting to blend a little bit now since we're so well removed from it. But I don't know a lot about him going into it, but I do know he was rather a snarky individual. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to also keep it short and sweet. I'm going to say that if the average guy is a three or a four, I'm going to give John Lennon an initial asshole score of a 5.5. Okay. All right. And uh, I agree with you on the snarky part. He was notoriously snarky, but I sort of like that because some of his shit was really sarcastic and funny to me. <laughs> but, you know, I like the Beatles and we're going to spend some time talking about that. I try to avoid it as much as I can because this is about John Lennon and not about the Beatles. Right. But... I'm going to go ahead and just, like I said, short and sweet as well. I'm going to give him, I'll give him a five from what I knew before. Not a huge fan of him. I knew some of the stuff that we're going to get into today, but doing the research, you know, you find out a lot more. And so that's what we'll get into. All right. With a 6.5 from Randy, a 5.5 from Buddy, and a 5.0 from Mikey, John Lennon's pre-show asshole score is a 5.6 repeating. All right. 5.6. Sounds about right. Let's get into it. Let's do it. Here we go. John Winston Lennon is born in Liverpool, England on October 9, 1940 to Julia and Alfred Lennon. Supposedly, he was born during a German air raid, which might explain his middle name of Winston. Apparently, his parents chose it in honor of Winston Churchill. Of Makes course. sense around that yeah. time. Yeah. Little John's uh, family life was... <laughs> Little John! <laughs> oh, yeah! What? There's a bomb coming in! What? Goodbye, Mr. Chips! Imagine all those bombs! <laughs> Little John's uh, family life was pretty troubled, to say the least, like I was saying. His father, Alfred, was almost never home because he was a merchant seaman, meaning that he sold his sperm for money. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's yeah. sea. That's right. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, there are, uh, at the time, that if you were not in the military, you could be what was called a merchant seaman, and that meant that your entire job was to make sure that they were transporting goods back and forth as need be. It was almost like a military position, and that's what his dad did. Okay. So he was never home. He was always away. Alfred's fathering largely consisted of mailing checks home to the family while he was away, which was adequate, I suppose, until that too stopped when Alfred went AWOL from the Merchant Marines in February of 1944. Uh-oh. Yeah. He said, fuck this shit, I'm out. You know, I mean, it's pretty noble, I guess, during the war effort, but World War II. <laughs> I'm hey, out. You know, the war's going on, feeling a little depressed. You're like, hey, I think I'm going to leave my family and go start a new one? All right. Why not? Six or so months later, Alfred returned home. I'm not sure how apologetic he was, but he did apparently offer to continue to support the family. But Julia was like, nah, dude, you left and I don't need you. Besides, I've totally been boning another dude and I'm about to drop this kid. You know what I mean? Yeah, she was <laughs> pregnant. She was pregnant when he got back. That's right. But uh, And so Alfred was pretty pissed about this. But hey, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to try to kidnap your son and try to move to New Zealand? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what he tried to do, apparently. Caught before he could make his escape, his plans foiled. Alfred decided to go with the classic conflict resolution and make the pet pick which owner he loved the best. Yeah. Oh, man. This. Just like in uh, Catch Me If You Can. That's oh, like yeah. they made the classic right in the beginning. He had to choose who do you want to live with, mom or dad? That's right. And uh, he actually went running from that and 
started yeah. his life. Yeah, and if you're listening to the show and you have a young child, I mean, maybe you want to take some pointers here because that seems to work really well for their <laughs> mental well-being. <laughs> Choose between me and your whore mother. <laughs> no uh, pressure. Yeah, no pressure. There's you know, no wrong answers here. Except for one. <laughs> But after a heated exchange with Julia, Alfred told his dog, I mean his son, John, which owner, I mean parent, he loved more and wanted to live with. John would say later that he twice chose his father, but when his mom walked away, he began to cry and followed her. Side note, this occurrence is questionable. It wasn't so dramatic, apparently, and instead was just two parents in a crumbling relationship that decided it was best for little John to go with his mother. So he did. But what a dick move by the dad to be like, I want you to choose. So that's the thing, though, is like apparently one person that observed the interaction said it wasn't really like that at all. Right. Like it was more like they just had a discussion or whatever. There wasn't Who do like you want to live with more like instead of you choose because I don't want to choose. Yeah, exactly. But John, you know, would go on to say that I was made to choose. It was a big dramatic thing and I wanted to choose my dad, but I, you know, whatever. It sounds like it's a shitty position to be put in as a kid. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah. And additionally, it sounds like his mom wasn't really great at being a parent either. Or at least Julia's own sister, Mimi, apparently thought so because she called social services on her twice. Yeah. Ooh, ouch. It takes a lot for you to call the cops, I would assume, especially back in, what is this, the 40s, 50s? Yeah, this is the 40s. So, yeah, if you're calling the cops on your sister or with, like, child services on your sister, then something's very wrong. Something's there. off, yeah. 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 And ultimately, uh, Julia sort of acquiesced by just giving custody of John to Mimi. The move gave John the stability that he had never had at that point, which I guess is good for him, right? But Julia would often visit John at Mimi's house. She would come by and say hello. So their relationship was already sort of fucked up as it was, right? So it's like mom drops John off to live with aunt and then just pops in every once in a while like, hey, Mm -hmm. how's it going? Not quite like Ginny and Forrest Gump, but a little bit. Every once in a while you have your interactions with mom and it's great. And then she's off again, right? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, And then even in that sense, you know, like the motherly role is sort of diminished and so she's sort of like a buddy that comes to hang out a favorite yeah. aunt that pops yes, by exactly and that's the whole point because on these visits she taught john how to play the banjo and the piano and she eventually bought him his first guitar during this time john was also notorious for being a prankster and often getting into trouble he had a penchant for drawing quote grotesque figures and cripples Oh, that's pretty dark. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, I'm not really sure what to make of that. <laughs> I like to draw cars a lot. I don't think I drew a lot of cripples. I, I'm but. a terrible drawer anyway. I'm a left-handed guy, so most of the people I draw anyway look like cripples. So, <laughs> I, 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 you know. Maybe that's what it was. It just it wasn't really cripples, but they're just, just like going a back and like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's drawing a bunch of retards here. Yeah, they, it's like Simon off Saturday Night Live. Hello, my name is Simon, Simon, and and I I like like to do drawings. But yeah, Lennon wasn't great at school, but he did have an artistic streak. So it's hard to say. He said he had an IQ of 165. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's pretty high. I don't know what to make of those. I don't either. I I really don't either, because we've heard a lot of people that have a real high IQ, but their body of work pretty questionable mm-hmm. obviously lennon you know has a great musical body of work but people throughout history have had like astronomically high iqs i mean i think hitler had a pretty high iq he's the goddamn devil he's like the high mark on our show so it's like yeah well yeah but i think that when those type of people have that capacity for knowledge they lose the ability to have that compassion for humans and stuff That's like that a good point. there's that part of the brain's being taken up and used for other things yeah 
Well, and the other thing that I always wonder is like, did you guys take IQ tests as kids? No. 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 My parents didn't think that was worth the money or the time. (laughs) (laughs) All I know is that Forrest was just below the line. All right. (laughs) Maybe it was a thing back then that was more prevalent than it is now or when we grew up. But I mean, you know, they put me into the smart kid class, but I never took a fucking IQ test. Yeah, no. So no. I feel more or less it's like sort of a post facto thing where they're like, he was a genius. He had a score of 165. And also, 165 is monstrous. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, there's a difference between like a 120. It's like a logarithmic scale. If you're scored a 165, you're fucking Einstein. I just don't believe it. Yeah, but I mean, there's a lot to say about the people that are that smart, but just can't practically apply it in school scenarios and yeah. stuff like that. So. Yeah. Well, and that may be the case here because his schoolmaster recommended that he attended art school instead of a regular university because he was just like, he's not really cut out for regular stuff. He needs mm-hmm. to go to art school. Art he's school. cut from a different cloth. Yeah, yeah. He's going to write great songs, but he can't do math very well. <laughs> well, his aunt was totally against the music, right? And his mom was really pushing the music to kind of... Yeah, his, that's why his mom was like teaching him the piano and stuff like that. And his aunt was more grounded and was just like, you better have a plan B, dude. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, she was correct. Yes. Yes. Yeah, you know? because 99 out of 100 times, you better have a plan B if your yeah. goal is to be a musician. You yeah, know? there's oh, a ton yeah. of like 70-year-old dudes that are walking around whose mother was like, you're going to be a genius musician. Didn't work out. Now we're just <laughs> talking about this guy because he, you know, he got lucky. Around the same time, Elvis Presley became somewhat of a big deal, too. And John's mother... Speaking of Elvis, he stayed at Forrest Gump's house, remember? Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. That's right. And Forrest learned how to do the dance. Oh, that's yeah. Right. With his braces knees. on. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Did Show me how you do that dance there. You, you move your legs all funky. <laughs> Swinging my hips. <laughs> But yeah, he became a big deal, and John's mother would actually show up to Mimi's house, and she would play Elvis records for him. Inspired by the music, little John created a skiffle band called the Quarry Men. So oh. I had to read about what the hell a skiffle yeah. movement Tell was. Tell us about the skiffle It's guys. like homemade instruments. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Like you, you got like the spoons clacking together. And like a washboard rubbing and all that. Yeah, just kind of crazy shit. All right, yeah. yeah. Using I, what you got. And I imagine like when Lennon's mom would show up to his aunt's house, she comes you know, down the road in her car and the aunt and uncle are like, oh, God, here comes Julia. Julia, yeah. Yeah. And uh, just- On the flip side, John's like seeing it from the room like, oh, shit, let me get my spoons. Right. Man. Yeah. Or no, yeah, I just imagine like her in a VW bug with a guitar sticking out of the back right. and like rose colored glasses on and yeah. Hey, little John, check this out. <laughs> She's like, there's this new music, man. It's called Trap House Music. <laughs> I want you to meet my friend, Jenny. You know. Yeah. Crunk style. <laughs> It's around the same time that John uh, actually meets Paul McCartney. It's July 6th of 1957. They met at a church function. McCartney joins the Quarrymen, which is the name of his skiffle band. That's All right. right. The following year, McCartney introduces Lennon to George Harrison, who also joins the band. So Four, now you've got the 14 core. years old, Harrison yeah. was. Yeah, yeah. man. Yeah, thought the he core was, right yeah, there. Yeah, they thought he was too young. And then uh, McCartney had him do like a demo on top of a Liverpool bus. Okay. And uh, apparently Harrison fucking slayed it. I don't remember what song he played. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely slayed the audition. And finally Lennon was like, all right, bring the kid along with us. You're in, dude. Bring the kid. He said, I'm 16. He's a punk ass 14 year old. 
Yeah, George was often underappreciated, and he actually did a lot for the band when he was actually given a chance to do something. Oh, did certainly. He, did he die when the guy jumped the fence and stabbed no. him in his house? He, he lived a little bit longer. All he right. did get stabbed, but he died of lung cancer. George Harrison smoked, I think, probably three packs a day, man. Oh, jeez. It was no like tories. my grandfather that used one match a morning, yep. you know, and then would just light yeah. off the butt, you know? Yeah, it was a different ball game back then. Like, you were just never not smoking. In fact, you see all those pictures of them hanging out. There's just constantly a cigarette there. That's awesome. I like, mean, they're giving birth in hospitals, and yeah. the dad's sitting there smoking in the hospital. Yeah. yeah. Like, Boy. Next the baby. Yeah. I mean, you still see it today on airplanes. They have ashtrays on some of the airplanes. Yeah. If there's an ashtray on the airplane I'm flying in, I have to kind of question, God damn, how old is this plane? <laughs> no, it's because true. that's been a long time like since, since you can smoke 70s, on a plane. Yeah. You know. In fact, my first flight I ever remember, you could still smoke on a plane. It was like mid-80s, and we flew from L.A. to Lexington, Kentucky. Oh, wow. I remember people smoking on the plane. Yeah. And then uh, I think it was 89 or 90, they finally cut it out. But smoking was just such a huge part of the culture back then. Of course. That's when you watch like the old Johnny Carson stuff, like people are talking and they're just smoking cigarettes. Yeah. I mean, if you want to get rid of like the Social Security deficit, just bring it back. You know what I mean? We'll just <laughs> end a bunch of lives really short. <laughs> no one will have to collect for that long. Yeah, just yeah. make smoking cool again. There you go. Yeah. Instead it is of all, cool. the, all the political going <laughs> on cool. now, yeah, like bring smoking back. Like that should be somebody's political slogan. <laughs> If you, if you want to collect social security in 30 years, make smoking cool again. Yeah. Don't be the one that smokes, yeah. but tell everybody else to smoke. That's right. Gonna... Hot Rod Randy 2024. <laughs> Especially in airports. Whatever happened to smoking in airports? You can't smoke in the airports anymore. Yeah, you got rid of all the rooms, you know? They, did. they don't have the rooms there, the designated no. rooms? They're gone. So I remember back in the day, you'd walk past them. It was like such a shame walk. It's almost yeah. like the walk of yeah, shame coming really out of the was. smoking room at the airport. You just stink and... People are scowling at you. But on the flip side, when you would walk into one of those rooms, you were accepted like Norm walking into Cheers. Oh, yeah. One All of right. us. One <laughs> of us. Oh, yeah. They're like, now look at the uh, ceiling tiles above you and recognize <laughs> what you're doing to your lungs. Oh, you could walk in and be like, ah, anybody got a smoke? And it's like a movie, like yeah. 10 hands with open packs. Zippos just, yeah, everywhere. Bing. Oh, hey, cool. Dude. Thanks, guys. You're yeah. in. They don't exist anymore. No, nah, not at all. Uh, I've yet to see one in an airport here recently, and I'm just like... Atlanta was one of the last airports to have them, and they just nixed them January this year. Was it really that late? Yeah, Yeah, 2020. You can't smoke in the airport anymore. It was like one room and one concourse. Yeah, it really was, yeah. C concourse. I was familiar with it back in the 90s. Cancer concourse. (laughs) (laughs) Well, go to the big C, smoke yourself a cigarette, and hope that you die in a plane crash, because it'll be much faster. And it's usually the same group of people in there. Unfortunately, it's... Guys with their military uniforms on yeah, yeah. and a bunch of old people in there with like Vietnam vet hats and shit. Listening and like, to John Lennon. <laughs> it's true. Imagine there's no cancer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the quarry men record their first proper song. It was actually Buddy Holly's That'll Be the Day. And oh, good uh, song. Yeah, there you go. Now, Ooh. I imagine that this was an exciting time for John, but in July of that same year, he would be visited by tragedy when his mother, Julia, was fatally struck by a car driven by an off-duty police officer. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, Ouch. That's an understatement. <laughs> yeah. Ouch, dude. Your mom Literally. died in a car crash? Ouch. Shitty for you. <laughs> yeah. Lennon would say that his mother's death was one of the most traumatic events of his life. And I mean- As for most people, no it probably shit. is. Yeah. For the next two years, John drank heavily and frequently got into fistfights, consumed by a, quote, blind rage. Mm, How old is he roughly at this time? This was 58, so he was 
He was 18. Okay. So, yeah, John was 18. How good of a fist fighter could John Lennon be? I'm just imagining him getting hammered and yeah. maybe getting the shit kicked out of him and some English Depending pubs. on who he picked his target on. Well, what, you a 14-year-old boy or something? The, I mean, the, but... average man's, <laughs> the average man's height at this point, especially post-war uh, England, England. Yeah. where they had been you know, starving throughout the 40s with the Blitz, I mean, everybody then was like five, five foot, foot eight. eight. Yeah. yeah. Made about the same. So it's really pretty much an even match. You can't compare it to now where everybody's like six two and hitting LA fitness every day. <laughs> John might have been beating some ass for some dudes back then, especially if you just didn't give a fuck. What's up, everybody? We're stepping outside the norm with this commercial break with an ask from all of you, our audience. AHC Podcast is made up of three guys who love to entertain, learn, and hopefully take our listeners to a place they can get away from the buzz of everyday life and get a few laughs. What is it we're asking for? We need some help marketing our show. We're looking for someone who can help with our social media presence, collaborations with other podcasts, and just generally help us spread the word of what we like to do. If you work in marketing, production, or hell, are just really good at this kind of stuff in general, contact us through any of our social media platforms at AHC Podcast or through our email at a55wholecourt at gmail.com. And just to throw this out there, you won't be volunteering your time. We'll pay you. Hit us up. We'd love to see what you can do. We want to share our show with as many people as possible. Thanks in advance for your help. And now, back to this episode of Asshole Court. But despite the tragedy, John continued his musical pursuits. Perhaps because, as uh, Randy alluded to, his mother was so adamant that he would be a big musical success. And now with her death, that even maybe pushes him even harder. Exactly, yeah. And uh, the band at this point actually changed their name from the Quarrymen to the Beatles, inspired mm. by Buddy Holly's band name, the Crickets. Okay. Wise choice, boys. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say yeah. so. Yeah. The Could Beatles. you imagine if they had to stay the Quarrymen? I don't know if that would have caught on as well as the Beatles did. You know what I mean? Yeah, I like, there's something so. to be said about having the right name for a band. Oh, yeah. yeah. Usually has to be one to two words and usually has to be pretty distinct. You know what I mean? Yeah. The Beatles. Like, I don't know. They're, they're, it's hard to even imagine like any other name for them because they're so like drilled yeah. into pop culture. You know it's what huge. I mean? When you speak about the name thing, that's what the big point of the movie The Founder at the very end of it when all the deals had been negotiated and Michael Keaton sitting there talking to the guy at the end, he's taking a piss. And uh, the guy that he got McDonald's from is like all pissed off. And he's like, you really don't know what I got from you right now, do you? And he's like, no, what, what did I get? And he's like, the name McDonald's. Yeah. That's what I fucking bought. Who's going to come to a place called Crocs? Right. Nobody. <laughs> but yeah, I bought fucking McDonald's yeah. and that's what I bought from you fuckers. He's like, yeah, but you really should start a shoe company because <laughs> yeah. that would be great. <laughs> what if it was his son that made that? Yeah, you know? Ray Crocs. Oh, he has McDonald's money. Now he's got McDonald's Crocs money. That's it, man. What a terrible shoe brand. Man, I'm not a Crocs guy. I don't get it. A lot of people love him, man. They do. He's got a huge following. More if power you, to him. Yeah, honestly, I'm, I'm not a hater, but. They're just, supposed to be really comfortable. I've never worn a pair in my life. But uh, yeah, they do settle for the Beatles, which is not just the Beatles like the bug. They actually put an A in there, so it sounds like the beat, the beat. of the music. Yep, yeah. Whatever. The music Beatles. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, people had questions about that. John had some pretty funny, snarky comments about you know how he came up with the name and said it came to him in a dream. And it was like, you'll be the Beatles. And it was like a flaming ghost that was telling him. Obviously, he was giving everybody a hard time because he was like, <laughs> it's just a fucking name, dude. 
we just chose the Beatles because the crickets and well, there you go. Yeah. So at this point, they traveled to Hamburg, Germany, and they start to play the bar scene there. So that's where they sort of cut their teeth, making themselves a good it's band. It's like a long run they went on in Hamburg. It was like a two or three week every night type deal, right? Yeah, they played oh, wow. nonstop yeah. for like a couple of years where that's okay. all they did was just play just bars. it out. Just, yeah. Yeah. It's around the same time that he meets Cynthia Powell. Yeah, Cynthia, his, uh, who would end up being his first wife. That's right. Uh, he meets her, has a quick shag, knocks her up, and then marries her in August of 1962. And Randy, baby. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and she gives birth to his son, Julian, shortly thereafter. Now, at this point, it's obvious to anyone that John's life up to this point hasn't been easy, right? Between the abandonment by his father to the death of his mother, who also pretty much abandoned him, it hasn't been an ideal childhood by any stretch of the imagination. And I suppose that it's important to consider this when moving forward with the John Lennon story because the asshole nature of John starts to become more apparent from here on out. But yes. before we get into it, let's go ahead and get that whole Beatles thing out of the way, right? What do you guys think about the Beatles so we can just go ahead and put that to the side and then move on with John Lennon? Dude, you guys know I'm pretty high level on most cultural issues. <laughs> so, like, you listen to the Beatles, their greatest hits, the ones you hear on the radio, the ones you mm -hmm. know, you know all the words to. Fucking unbelievable music. I love the songs. Oh, they're it's great. great. Oh, man, they're just, they're definitely foot tapping tunes. I don't, I get made fun of all the time. I don't pay attention to the words of music much mm -hmm. and like analyze lyrics. I may know the hook, but I kind of make up words for all the other stuff in between. Probably like 50% of other people out there. So really just the hook and the beat and the rhythm, everything was great, man. They had a lot of difference too. You had really good songs um, that were real poppy. And then you had some, you know, more deeper and I guess, you know, imagine uh, that's later, way later on. Yeah, yeah, way, yeah. Lennon, way later yeah. on. But still, again, that's how I group it all. Like, oh, sure. that's yeah, the Beatles. Sure. Now yeah. it's really John Lennon. Right. But uh, that's kind of how I, I view it. Very high level. I think they were a massive success. I like the picture of them doing the Abbey Road sure. uh, course, album cover. I'm a super high level. I like the fan. I like their music. That's about it. But the, the guys themselves, take them or leave them. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a, I'm. Not a huge fan of the music, but mm -hmm. I mean, I love so many of their songs. Uh, as a matter of fact, I actually got into the Xbox's rock band mm -hmm. through the Beatles pack of it. And so, okay. like, I got all the instruments and learned a lot of their songs going through rock band. And I, and I just I love it. I love a lot of their music. Yeah. The lyrics are great. The music's great. You know, it's uh, it's really catchy. A lot of their stuff. There's stuff that I don't like. But I mean, when you look at a lot of it, there's there's a lot of good stuff. You in can there. really tell when they start taking drugs. Oh, Holy yeah. shit. Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah. I'm actually going to get into that. There in a you go. Bit, yeah. so. Well, and I'm the same boat. I uh, I love the Beatles. I think they have a lot of great stuff. For I sure. do feel they're overrated. I do feel like they became like the band of an entire generation where they're like everything they did was perfect. And in my mind, the hallmark of a great band is multiple perfect albums right mm -hmm. and i can not name a single beatles album that i won't skip a track yeah you know what i'm saying now contextually it's important to understand why the beatles are so important is because it would be the equivalent now of having like in sync turn into radiohead which is what <laughs> they did right yeah, like right. they were like a fucking teen pop band that all of a sudden was like, all right, let's switch gears and do some weird ass shit. And then it became like mind blowing. You know what I'm saying? Cultish. Yeah. yeah. When you leave like with help and then you end up in like Sergeant Peppers and stuff like that. It's a big fucking deal. And I get that. 
But like I said, even with their supposedly perfect albums, like the White albums of what that, man, I'm skipping half that shit. Like, right. There's some crap fucking songs in there, like Maxwell's Silver Hammer. Like I don't ever want to hear that <laughs> ever. But you know, when you have individual songs like Yesterday or you know, uh, I mean, there's just so many of them. Yeah, but see, it catches people from that they grew up in the time that that was coming out. So that, I mean, think about the stuff that we were growing up with at that time that is just so culturally significant to us that we would never listen to if we listened to it fresh today. The band that hits like that for me is Nirvana. Yeah. So I yeah. can go back and listen to Bleach yeah. in utero, obviously Nevermind, and Live and Unplugged in New York. I can yeah. probably listen to all those albums back to back and not say there's a bad song. Right. Somebody new listens to that and they're like, Bleach was fucked. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah, it takes true. a minute to dip yourself into it. But like for me, I'm like, there were other bands that were putting out great albums at the time. For instance, Soundgarden. Well, no, I'm talking about no, in the, the time of the Beatles. Oh. Like, <laughs> uh, I mean, honestly, uh, Pink Floyd, like Dark Side of the Moon, Wish You Were Here, and even the Rolling Stones with like uh, Sticky Fingers and Exile on Main Street. I'm like, those are perfect albums, like front to back. Like I don't skip tracks on them. So long story short, like the Beatles were amazing. They were a great band. They did a lot of stuff, but Jesus Christ. I mean, I, I just, I can't get the whole, like, they're the most important band of all fucking time, dude. They caught that wave. Yeah. You know, there was nothing before them that was similar to that, and they just went off with it. Dude, that Ed Sullivan uh, oh, yeah. appearance they had was just second to none. Like, chicks were literally, like, passing out. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, fainting. Like, oh, yeah. I don't Apparently. understand how that happens. How do you faint at being starstruck? Like, I don't know. I, mean, they did, I think they, it's fake. They it's fake news. They were, <laughs> it was like a carryover from like the Elvis days, which was that yeah, was happening. Yeah, I was watching yeah. a documentary recently on the Rolling Stones. It was the same, same thing. thing. They had to run, literally run from these chicks that were trying to get their like tear their hair out and shit. Like, well, that's the where fuck? the infamous uh, Elvis has left the building line comes yeah. from. Is that it would get so fucking crazy at the Elvis shows. He would like literally sing his last song. He would run off the stage. And they would like shoo them out through the back mm -hmm. and fans are going nuts. Nobody's leaving no matter what security says. And then that's when they would come over the top and say Elvis has left the building right. just so people would start to depart. I'd totally play a deke on him if I was Elvis and I'd be like, got to go to the back and have a smoke or whatever. <laughs> just fucking I'll be dip. back with yeah. a banana and peanut butter and bacon sandwich. <laughs> it's time to smoke a whole pack of cigarettes and get on this airplane because that's what we do. TCB, baby. Taking care of business. <laughs> STC, smoking tons of cigarettes. <laughs> okay, so we've got the discussion of the Beatles out of the way. Now we're getting into John Lennon again and okay. why he's an asshole. All right. Let's start with the asshole evidence with the nature of John's marriage to Cynthia. This is his first wife, right? That's yeah. right. Okay. She had managed to marry him at a time when almost nobody in the world knew who John Lennon even was. But just two years later... Lennon and his bandmates were legitimate global superstars. And not just any type of superstar, they were teenage heartthrobs, the biggest since Elvis himself. Man, and that's big for that yeah, time. absolutely. Obviously, Beatles management didn't want horny teenage girls having to think that John was married and therefore unavailable, so they asked him to keep his marriage to Cynthia as under wraps as possible. Yeah, Cynthia was talking about that in a couple of interviews, and she said that by the time that the Beatles were starting to make it, she had become pregnant with their son, Julian, but was forced to hide herself from fans as the band's manager, Brian Epstein, believed a pregnant wife would be bad for business. So during that time, she ends up staying with John's Aunt Mimi, his aunt that raised him, who she depicted as a woman with a cruel streak who had dominated and emotionally bullied her nephew for much of his young life. I think her cruelty influenced him a great deal. 
Yeah, and so they're asking him, hey, man, don't let everybody know that you're married or whatever. John didn't seem to mind. No, he, he seemed was like, okay yeah, yeah, I'll that. pan her off on my aunt. Yeah, and sure, it might seem like a shrewd business decision on his part, and it could have been considered just that had he not taken it to the next level of constantly cheating on Cynthia. Totally. Yeah, yeah. that's kind of fucked. Yeah. According to letters from Lennon's then-housekeeper, Dorothy Jarlett, John was rarely home, cheated on Cynthia constantly, and would frequently leave drugs lying around the house. Worse still, he was not only largely absent from little Julian's life, but when he was there, he was far from a loving parent. I heard something about one of Julian's rare trips into New York City. Mm-hmm. Basically, Cynthia brings Julian into New York City for him to visit with John, and Julian's running around laughing. And John makes the statement, something to the effect of, God, he's got the worst fucking laugh I've ever heard. Stop him from laughing. And actually, Cynthia was like, man, it took years for Julian to start laughing again because his dad was like, yeah, "Eh, shut that fucking kid up. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Oh, a child's laughter. (laughs) (laughs) Shut the fuck up. The most annoying sound in the world. (laughs) Yeah. Dorothy Jarlett claimed that John would criticize and even smack the sensitive Julian for things like having bad table manners. Although she noted that Julian's table manners were actually pretty good. So... John didn't just save the slaps to the face for his young son. Oh, no. Sometimes he'd give Cynthia a little taste, too. Oh, great. Apparently, the guy that wrote Give Peace a Chance should have retitled it Give a Mouthpiece a Chance. Yeah, damn. What a piece of shit. I hate guys that beat on women, children. What the fuck do you need to do that for? What did the five fingers say to the face? (laughs) Slap. He would himself admit to this violence in an interview with Playboy later on in his life. Quote, All that, I used to be cruel to my woman, I beat her and kept her apart from the things that she loved, was me. And that was actually a lyric from the song, uh, Beatles song, Getting Better. He said, I used to be cruel to my woman and physically any woman. I was a hitter. I couldn't express myself and I hit. I fought men and I hit women. What a piece of shit. There you go. I mean, that climbs up points in my book. See, right I there. knew a little bit about that. That's why my score pre-show might have been a little bit higher, tick higher, because I knew he uh, laid hands on the ladies mm-hmm. back in the day, dick. So at the height of the Beatles, John is absent, cruel, and violent with his own wife and his young son. There's no denying it. But Cynthia is an adult and can make decisions on her own. It's a little bit more difficult for Julian. I mean, it's basically a toss-up for little Julian at this point. A no-win situation, apparently. Do you want your dad to be gone all the time, or do you want him home more often with the possibility that he'll slap and yell at you? Hey, just keep sending the paychecks like his dad did, huh? That's it, apparently. Hey, man, as a kid, you just want that energy out of the house, man. Keep him the fuck away. Yeah. And it's important to note here that Julian has never been shy about his feelings towards his father, John, either, which goes to show how deeply their relationship bothered him, considering how much more profitable it would have been for Julian to continue the deification of his father the general public so obviously wanted. Look at Sean. Yeah. To this day, Julian explains when he actually feels like talking about it. And I hate that for him because every time that they talk to Julian, it's about John. Of course. And Julian had a relatively successful music career himself in the early 80s. He did. Thankfully... To John, obviously, never but heard of being him. able to be on those writing those tailcoats. I yeah, mean, yeah, I, I, yeah, I didn't even know that. So yeah, no, Julian had the hit record in the early '80s or whatever. Yeah, but successful little what song tour. did he sing? Uh, he had an Nothing album that you would know. But oh, yeah, I mean, no, do you guys know? No, I, I honestly, off the top of my head, I don't know Julian's. Now I do know Sean's, and we'll get into that later or whatever. But it was big enough that he got a record contract and stuff like that, and uh, you know was doing world tours and yeah. you know. 
selling out world tours yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. But uh, how largely, big were the venues? I'm just a little pessimistic here. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, no, I mean he was legitimately had a record contract. That's a fact. I'm, well, I, I, absolutely. But who the hell's heard of Julian Lennon? I've ne- I had never heard it's, of the guy's music until I've heard of Sean Lennon. Obviously, John Lennon. I had no clue Julian Lennon was like had. Well, this kind of success. And, and to be fair, his heyday was when we were about five years old, so it'd be tough. True to that. Eh, but listen, but the listen. Beatles' heyday was when we hadn't been born for thirty years yet. So yeah, but that's also the biggest rock band of all time. So it's all tough. Right. I see what well, you're let's saying. Let's bring it but... to the future. Do you know of Jaden Smith? Yeah, you know he's selling out concerts all the time. He's a, he sucks too, but yeah, I guess. <laughs> well, Julian, I guess it's all relative. <laughs> Julian, Julian doesn't suck i mean he's a decent person or whatever but no I mean, i'm not saying Jayden. anything about his Jayden's person pretty good i just didn't know his i guess it is successful if you're, you have a record deal and you're selling out places that is success so i can't hate but it's relative it's like being you know saying like oh well you didn't make the beatles success so he still like was flying to europe and i i knew when i was in the car business i knew a guy that was in a russian pop band they were like a russian boy band mm-hmm. and he sold out stadiums in moscow i saw videos of him playing the uh the sitar and all kinds of crazy shit now he's a finance director at a car dealership so it's like you know <laughs> he came to america it's to start all a new life. relative success i it guess it is it yeah. is i mean it's more successful than me or know? me yeah, yeah so I, i'll give him props <laughs> not <yeah>. me <laughs> But all right, so like I said, to this day, Julian explains that uh, he only lived with his father for a couple of years. Wait, it wasn't a sitar. What's what's the keyboard guitar called? It's a keytar. A keytar. That's what he played. <laughs> a little right. different. A little I, different. I, and that's yeah. I, I totally digress. I'm sorry. I had to. And well, he didn't play a sitar. It yeah. was the keyboard guitar. Yeah. Yeah. And I've seen I've seen oh, yeah. YouTube videos of his band play. It's terrible. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. I totally interrupted. Go no, ahead, Mike. You're totally all right, man. Um, but yeah, so he said he only lived with his father for a couple of years. Quote, after that, I only saw him a handful of times before he was killed. Sadly, I never really knew the man. I think that the work he produced was incredible, and so was what he achieved with his three friends, Paul, George, and Ringo. But his work hasn't given me a clear insight into what his real life was about or how he truly felt about it. Furthermore, he added, quote, I had a great deal of anger towards dad because of his negligence and his attitude to peace and love. That peace and love never came home to me. That sucks, man. So is your dad sitting there singing about it and never bringing it home? Right. So is it a front? Is it really truly how he acted and believed or is it just kind of a... uh, Actions speak louder than words. Sure. Absolutely. And uh, to me, it's more him embodying Yoko. And pushing that message at that time, but it might not have been what was it he. Ju- yeah, was it just an act? You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, he didn't walk the walk. Right. So the negligence was there throughout young Julian's life, but the actual abandonment came about when John went on a magical mystery tour with the booze one night and let slip to Cynthia that he had been given the Japanese conceptual artist Yoko Ono his Norwegian wood. Yeah, that's a little play on Beatles tracks if you guys are <laughs> paying attention. <laughs> Actually, one version is a bit more harsh than that. Allegedly, Cynthia was off on holiday in Greece when John invited Yoko to hang out at their house. They recorded what would eventually become the album Two Virgins Together, Fuck That Night, and when Cynthia returned home the next morning, Yoko was wearing her house robe, Cynthia's house robe, and John, seeing Cynthia walked in, responded, Oh, hi. How did they not get into a fucking fight? If my wife came home and there's some woman wearing her robe at the counter, yeah, dude, grab the kitchen knives because shit is about to pop off. True that. Dude, Cynthia talked about it. She said that 
The scene is implanted in my mind forever. She comes home and Yoko and John are sitting cross-legged, like staring at each other. In the other. bathrobe, so their balls and shit's just hanging out. <laughs> John Lennon's nuts. <laughs> oh, hi. Skin sticking to his leg. She goes, uh, John had such indifference in his eyes. I held no fascination for him anymore. You know, it kind of reminds me of the uh, Seinfeld line from our other show where Elaine is getting dumped mm. by her doctor boyfriend because of... What is it, Randy? The dream of becoming a the doctor? The dream of becoming a doctor is to break up with whoever you're with and find someone better. That's the dream of becoming a doctor. Yeah, yeah. I think this was John's the dream of becoming a musician moment right here. Yeah. That's my thing. Yoko Ono was not hot either. No, like, no. He had his pick of the litter. John was he, not hot either. Okay, like if we're, I mean, yeah, let's but be I real, mean, yeah. neither is Mark Zuckerberg or any of those dudes. But when you have that sort of money and power, you can fuck whoever you want. This is true. That. But yeah, I mean, I can't even imagine. That's how cold he was. He was just like, oh, hey, what's up? By the way, I mean, at least hide it. And be like, it's not what you think it is. Uh, Go out the fucking uh, back door, out the door yeah. now, now. She's home. Yeah. And then also, like, what kind of a person do you have to be to fuck some dude and then be like, let me wear your wife's robe? Yeah, that's like the worst part of it for me. You know what yeah. I mean? Your wife comes home and your side chick is wearing your wife's robe. Yeah. That's ugh. like she I farted said, in that robe. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> it happened. Uh -huh. There's no way Yoko didn't fart in Cynthia's robe. I, I mean, imagine the disrespect of that. I'm telling you, hide the kitchen knives because it's on at that point. Yeah. It's not great. Lorena Bobbitt style. Oh yeah. Hey guys, real quick, if you're liking the show, do us a favor and give us that sweet, sweet five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you're catching us on. It makes a huge difference. Now back to Asshole Court. In 1968, Yoko became pregnant and John decided it was best to leave Cynthia and Julian in the dust to continue his strange codependent love affair with Yoko Ono. Good guy John Lennon leaves previous family for a new chick. That's right. Unfortunately, you hear... That, that's pretty common. It, it is. Yeah. It is. It sucks. Yeah. It doesn't make in those people any less of an asshole. Not at all. Not at all. The scene was tragic enough that Paul McCartney, whom Julian often said was more of a father to him than John, penned the now famous Beatle track, Hey Jude, in response. The song was originally titled Hey Jules, and Paul wrote it to comfort little Julian, yep. saying, quote, I knew it was not going to be easy for him. Now... A normal person would likely take their best friend writing a song of condolence for their son as a sign that something was wrong. I mean, if one of you guys wrote a song for my son that basically said that you understood how hard things were right then because of my actions, I would like to think that I'd take a pause, get <laughs> introspective, and be like, okay, I'm pretty sure I'm fucking shit up for my son right now. But not John. Nope. Oh, no. Instead, he thought that Paul had written the song about him and Yoko, of course. That's right. He didn't just ignore it or say that it was well-intentioned but misguided. He actually spun it into a song about him. In a 1980 interview, Lennon stated that he, quote, always heard it as a song to me and contended that on one level, McCartney was given his blessing to Lennon and Ono's relationship, while on another, he was disappointed to be usurped as Lennon's friend and creative partner. Lennon had a bit of a God complex at the end. I, yeah, certainly. Uh, well, you yeah. know what I mean? Well, I mean, he's famously quoted as saying, and um, it's always been taken out of context, but when he was talking in England to a reporter, he was like, yeah, I 
think we're bigger than Jesus now. Mm-hmm. Or and something they like said, that. which is going to end first, rock and roll or Christianity? I believe it'll be Christianity. And the fucking KKK stepped in. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was a big it got deal. crazy, oh, man. See, and that's yeah. the thing we always talk about is cancel culture. That was cancel culture in the 60s. Yeah. They were trying to cancel the Beatles <laughs> and run over their fucking records and yeah. shit like that. Absolutely. It's always been there. Imagine if you had Twitter there. in the 60s. Oh, oh man. God. <laughs> you know oh, God. Yeah. Imagine the posts. <laughs> yeah, dude. It would have been a disaster. Uh, and it imagine was just, like your uncles and great uncles having access to to Twitter. Oh yeah, that's oh. what I'm saying. It was an offhand comment. And he was like, "We're bigger than Jesus," and they were. I mean, the kids at the time. His, it was, his, a, it his, was a correct statement his, at the time. His point was that kids cared more about the Beatles than they did about religion at the time, and he wasn't wrong at all. But God Almighty, dude, they literally had parties where they burned. And they bought Beatles albums to burn them, which is hilarious. Dude, sign me up. You're going to yeah. buy my album to burn it. Don't give a fuck. Getting paid. Which Shout also goes it. back to, again, like, again, this is my thing, because we always talk about the cancel culture thing. Same thing happened with Elvis. And But Colonel Parker, who was Elvis's manager, knew that there was a money-making opportunity. So he sold pins that said, I love Elvis, and pins that said, I hate Elvis. <laughs> and he made a fuck ton of money on oh, That man. makes sense. Absolutely. Oh. Fantastic. Yeah, dude. It's uh, it's hilarious. But yeah. So, okay. So, yeah. John says there thinks that Hey Jude is about him somehow. I, I can't imagine being that disconnected. asshole. Yeah. Yoko ultimately miscarried this pregnancy, mm. but John remained devoted to her. And he also brought Yoko into the Beatles with him as well. Right? That well, was the rule. No fucking girls in the studio. That was yeah, the rule. Yeah. Yeah. While Yoko always catches shit for breaking the Beatles up due to her insistence on sitting in on the recordings, it was actually John who mandated that she go with him. Yep. I can't imagine how awkward it would be to have your longtime friend and co-worker bring in his new wife and be like, she's going to sit in on everything that we do, right? Dude, what if one of you guys got divorced and your fucking new girlfriend, your new girlfriend sat on the couch over here in our studio and listen to us record every show and watch us do the shit that we do. Mm-hmm. I would be so fucking annoyed. Honestly, it would change the tune of our show. 100%. Right? And I mean, yeah, even to the effect of Paul, Ringo, and George had to contact Yoko in order to hang out with John. Yeah. Like, Fuck she made all noise. of his, his plans. And stuff. Yeah, and everybody, bl- I said, everybody blames Yoko, but it really was John being like, this is how it's going to work. Well, that's where Cynthia kind of draws the correlation in between his aunt Mimi and Yoko that he just needed a controlling woman in his yeah. life. But at the same time, she could have said, John, I'm cool with whatever you want to do, bro. Go do your thing. You're in the Beatles. Like, they don't need to contact me. Right. Feel free to go hang out with them. But I, I have a feeling like that wasn't the message she portrayed to him. Well, you no. Know what I mean? And I mean, it was so and strange. She, he was always very possessive of women, going back to the abuse part. Yes. Very possessive of women and kind of controlling. And anyway. And to put a finer point on that, not only did he insist that she be with him for band practices and recording sessions, he also went so far as to make sure that she followed him to the bathroom. Jesus yeah. Christ, man. He's like, Yoko. Hold my wang, gal. He said, Yoko, <laughs> come hold my hand, Lou, while I give birth to this bog log. <laughs> a bog log. <laughs> That's a British term for a turd. I looked it up. Nice. Oh, nice. Of course, the blame for the breaking up of the Beatles has been argued to exhaustion since 1970, and I'm not going to get too much into it here because it's pointless and I don't really give too much of a shit, but suffice it to say that although the current popular narrative is that it wasn't really due to Yoko, I'm going to have to say that having her around constantly couldn't have been great for the nah, chemistry of the not band. At all. Not, not at, at all. all. I mean, imagine being Ringo or Paul and having to listen to Lennon and Yoko pull together Revolution Number no. 9, an oh. eight-and-a-half-minute testament to artistic self-indulgence and pretension, and not think to yourself, 
this shit's getting out of hand, dude. Yeah, right. But either way, John and Yoko, they marry in 1969, and the Beatles would break up the following year. John and Yoko remained busy during these tumultuous years with the infamously absurd bed-ins for peace. Christ. Okay, now before they get into this, this is where I have a theory, okay? Because John and Paul are at odds at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, the Beatles have broken up. Oh, they up. were talking shit about each other. Yeah. Okay, so here's my theory. I think that John Lennon and Paul McCartney had the first rap battle slash rap beef okay. ever. Okay. All right. yeah. The audience can correct me if they think I'm wrong, but Paul McCartney released too many people in August of 71, calling out John, but rather subtly. All right. He decided to refrain from using direct name calling in the song mm-hmm. and softened the original chorus line of Yoko took your lucky break and broke it in two to you took your lucky break and broke it in two. Mm-hmm. And McCartney said about other lines in the song, you know, like too many people preaching practices. And I felt that was true of what was going on with John, you know, do this, do that. But he never really calls out John. And it was, you know, missed by most people initially. Right. Okay, Not now, John, though. John claps back the following month with How Do You Sleep? Yeah, How Do You Sleep was basically like John Lennon's No Vaseline with Ice Cube destroying It was a ra- diss track. They're all 100%. Diss tracks. It's the first, in my opinion, and I could be wrong, I think it's the first diss track. Or technically the second because Paul let his out, but it yeah. was kind of like weak track. Yeah. And this is the diss track. I mean, he opens the gates with lyrics like, So Sergeant Pepper took you by surprise, and those freaks were right when they said you were dead. Uh, referring to the fan yeah, theory that Paul McCartney uh, actually died in a car accident back in 66, hmm. yep. you know, and was replaced. He also said, the only thing you've done was yesterday. And since you've gone, you're just another day. Just basically insinuating that all you wrote was yesterday. So fuck off. I mean, yeah. come on, this is Paul McCartney. I guess you got the last laugh on that one. Uh, yeah. It is a legit diss track, though. Oh, it's a diss it track is. for sure. All right. And there was no confusion on who Lennon was uh, addressing when the song was released. He had Paul in his crosshairs, and he didn't try to hide it at all. It's true. Actually, George Harrison played some of the guitar on that track. Oh, really? Yeah, there was some serious beef between George and Paul, especially during the Let It Be recordings. There's actually one part where they actually look like they're going to get in a fist fight, and it came close to them getting should have let that roll i'd oh, like to man. see who win there yeah. Yeah. <laughs> i they're both the fuck. well <laughs> I, i'm always george, down to watch a good george, fight yeah george uh on his third pack of the day would be wheezing after <laughs> one punch <laughs> but yeah no you're, it's actually a great theory and you're not wrong i mean it was a legitimate diss track i think it was the first rat beef and it was uh history. dude yeah how do you sleep at night was no vaseline for rock diss tracks it was oh, yeah. very hard in the paint there was no question who john was addressing in the yeah, song yeah yeah but yeah, like I said, around the same time, John and Yoko are doing their own thing. That is uh, such a shitty band name, too. What was their band name? The Plastic... Plastic Ono Band? <laughs> terrible <laughs> name. God, what a terrible name. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to, to hate there, too. But I especially hate, which is what I'm getting to right now, is their bed-ins for peace. Christ, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. These are weak sauce. They were two-week-long bed-ins for peace. They're like sit-ins for the civil rights movement, except, you know, useless and entirely out of touch. Yeah, glad you didn't have so much fucking money you didn't have to work, dipshit. Yeah, right? This is 69, so it's like, one was at the Hilton Hotel in Amsterdam, and one was at the Queen Elizabeth Hotel in Montreal, each of which were intended to be nonviolent protests against war and experimental tests of new ways to promote peace. Think about how fucking out of touch you have to be to think that the best way to demonstrate against the Vietnam War is to stay in bed in a luxury hotel in countries entirely uninvolved in the fucking Vietnam War. (laughs) To prove 
how against the war I am, I'm going to refrain from ordering foie gras from room service for like two, no, three weeks. Three weeks. But not the fourth, because goddamn, that shit is so good. It's fucking pathetic, dude. It was a joke. Yeah, this is where the downhill slide begins. Yeah. It began a few years ago, but Yoko Ono's not my favorite person. No, not a lot of people's, nah, man. No. Not a lot of people's. And another common misconception, though, is that John treated Yoko significantly better than he treated Cynthia. And that is true to some extent, but it certainly wasn't marital bliss all the time. Did he ever well, she was real skinny. Yoko? Well, that's the thing. She was real skinny, so if he hit her, he'd have the fear of breaking bones and getting like some serious trouble. Well, Cynthia, Cynthia was, looked to be a little more plump. She could take a punch. She, yeah, yeah, she could take. You know, she has more meat on her bones. Yoko seemed to be very frail, mm. so I, I think the fear of catching a charge might have been there. Yeah. Well, there there are actually there's conversations about whether Yoko got beat by John or not. She says no. I guarantee he couldn't throw a good punch either. I'm just saying. But I bet in a drunken haze he threw a punch or two at Yoko. Well, this is what I'm about to Slipped get into him like a good boxer. Because- <laughs> She's got a pull. Uh, <laughs> good, yeah, a good head a move. Pull counter. Yeah. But around 1973, John decided that he needed a break from the relatively new marriage. The story goes that both Yoko and he decided it was best for some time apart. But who knows? Yoko's quoted at the time saying, I was very aware that we were ruining each other's careers, and I was hated, and John was hated because of me. I needed a rest. I needed space. Can you imagine every day of getting this vibration from people of hate? You want to get out of that. Yeah, I mean, it's understandable. The Beatles fans fucking hated her. Oh, they hated her. I mean, imagine her just walking down to, like, grab a pack of cigarettes. You know, from the local, like, corner store or something like that. Like, how many people looked at her like, you fucking bitch? Oh, yeah. You know. They decided at that point that they needed a break, and apparently Yoko was just like, hey, you know, Mei Pang, who is our assistant, you know, she tells Mei Pang, John's into you, you guys should spend some time together. What kind of fucked up shit is that? Like, what good wife tells someone that their husband may have eyes for, you know, he's kind of into you, you guys might want to go head to the hills and bang for a while. Yeah, but what the know, I actually that's see true. this a little bit, at least from the eyesight of, huh? All right, we're not dealing with the average, you're saying the average wife, all right? And will the average wife say that? No. But they're dealing with people that are in the spotlight all the fucking time. Who fucking cares? Like, they're married, it's like a, that's your girl, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I I just, I can't wrap my head around that kind of shit. But we're assuming that the story is what actually happened, and it wasn't just John being like, I'm a huge fucking star I'm going to fucking bone our assistant and you're going to figure out a way to make it sell to the papers and not sound like I'm that's an very true. Well, that's it could be her just playing cover yeah. up yeah. after the fact. Yeah. So it happened either way, though. And the trial separation began around 1973 and him and May Pang, they went basically to Los Angeles and they mm-hmm. were hanging out there the whole time. But it was also around this time that John was hanging out with Los Angeles American singer songwriter Harry Nilsson and drinking very heavily. Oh, yeah. The two of them were like going at it. There was even a story about uh, somebody's and I don't know who the celebrity was, but it was a celebrity couple. And Harry shows up at their house mm-hmm. to like get the guy, you know, his friend and the wife answers the door and she sees Harry and she's like, God damn it. Because she knew every time that Harry showed up at the house that her husband was going to be gone for like three days and they were just going to go party mm-hmm. the entire time. Yeah. So they got into some trouble there in uh, 1974 the antics became press fodder at this point because like in March of 74, 
a drunk John Lennon stuck an unused menstrual pad on his forehead and scuffled with a waitress at the Troubadour. And then later on that year, he and Harry and Nilsson Harry. were ejected from the Troubadour for heckling the Smothers Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> all right, now that sucks. All right, you're the band. All right, imagine you're the Smothers Brothers. They're comedians. Right? Yeah, they and you're out there on yeah. stage, and John Lennon, one of the biggest fucking names in music, is sitting there heckling you from the audience. That's yeah. got to suck. Side note: second mention we've had in asshole court to the Troubadour. Smothers Brothers. No, yeah, oh, and Smothers the Brothers. Troubadour and the Smothers Brothers. Axl Rose and Guns N' Roses, that was where they got their start. Oh, yeah. the nice. Was a huge, yeah. huge joint, man. Yeah. Yep. Now, they built their apartment. Remember, we talked right. to They built a fucking shack to live in outside the Troubadour. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Harry Nelson and John Lennon are out there at the Troubadour Club. And apparently Harry had this thing where he liked to get his friends really fucking hammered. And like, it was Sounds like... Sounds familiar. He was, <laughs> it was almost this thing where he would like, he would start a fight... But then the other person would get blamed for it. And okay. the, like that was just kind of like his shtick. He loved cocaine and alcohol. They'd all get hammered and he would start some shit and then kind of stand on the backgrounds. All right. So, buddy, no offense to you. Sans cocaine in our high school days. The shoe fits, brother. The shoe <laughs> that was fits. me. And I knew I had Randy to hide behind. That's right. And I would talk a lot of shit. Buddy had a mad shit talking mouth mm-hmm. and would write checks that. He could cash with me and our boys with him, but... I never wrote those checks when I didn't have my boys around. (laughs) This is true. This is true. (laughs) But this is the same thing. So that particular night, Lennon comes back and he talks about it. He was like, I got drunk and shouted. It was my first night on Brandy Alexander's, and that's Brandy and Milk, folks. Oh, hang on. Like... Is milk a drug or is milk like... How fucking faded can you get on Brandy Alexander's if you're not a 13-year-old teenage girl? You know what I'm saying? Is it it literally Brandy and milk? That's what Brandy Alexander's are, and that's what he was drinking these Could you imagine drinking more than one of those? Can you imagine being so hammered that you start basically blacking out on these? And so, yeah, he says, uh, I was with Harry, and he encouraged me. I usually have someone there who says, okay, Lennon, shut up. But nobody was there that night to tell him to shut up. I guess, you know, back in my college days, I had white Russians. I had a big affinity for white Russians. And I was a bartender. And these girls that were, you know, frequent patrons to the bar made me at the time, if you guys remember the pimp cups. Yeah. Little John. Yeah. Yeah. They made me a pimp cup chalice. It was probably a 40 ounce just chalice. I remember they put like my name and like some flip flops and a beat shirt, kind of my my get up. And I would make like 40 ounce white Russians with oh. mostly vodka and Kahlua with a touch of cream. And you drink four or five of those and you're straight faded. But at the same time, it's milk. Yeah. And, oh. Milk and alcohol just uh, curdle. Seems like a bad idea. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. That's why it has oh. to be predominantly alcohol and just a little bit of milk. Yeah, there you <laughs> yeah. go. That's it. So he was getting drunk on a, in a pimp cup, him and Harry Nelson. <laughs> he had his Beatles pimp cup or whatever. Yeah, no, dude, I, I can't understand that. Choosing that as your drink of choice all night long. Brandy and milk. Yuck. Oh, yeah. God. Gross. And then, yeah, like you said, like being the Smothers Brothers, who were a big deal at the time. Yeah. They were a huge comedy duo. And you're like, hey, we got John Lennon in the crowd. And they're like, fuck off, dude. The Smothers <laughs> Brothers suck dick. And he's like, okay, well, that's pretty cool, John. Anyways, take care, buddy. Oh, they cried in their green room after this. Um, certainly, man. I mean, it's nuts, dude. Those sort of things, those annex, they're not that big a deal. It's, it's sort of funny, but uh, it's just you being a dickhead. You know yeah, what I mean? Like if you want to be, if you want to go out and get drunk and have a good time, go out and have a good time. But don't be a fucking dick, especially as a performer. You right. know, yeah, exactly. what it feels exactly. like. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Fuck you. 
Now, admittedly, the Smothers Brothers thing and the whole fighting with the waitress or whatever are uh, not great things. They're not monstrous. They're just uh, not great. They're yeah, not the great, o- but they could probably be chalked up to just a couple drunk nights. Exactly. You know, the old maxi pad on the head. Everybody's done that. Yeah, right? you know? <laughs> I mean, my son did that when yeah. he was four. Yeah. You know, so... <laughs> And I mean, honestly, they're somewhat funny. It's a real <laughs> insane story. Imagine like the height of uh, like John Lennon's popularity. He's got a maxi pad on his head fighting a waitress at a troubadour and you're sitting there getting to watch it. <laughs> but one incident that occurred at this time definitely is not funny. You see, May Pang was actually a pretty positive influence in John's life. During their affair, she convinced John that he should reach back out to his son, Julian, whom he hadn't spoken to in a couple of years. She also convinced him to reestablish contact with people like Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr and some other folks. She got the band back together. Got him back together, mate. Because Yoko broke him up. That's right. But during one drunken evening, John apparently misunderstood a comment that Pang made and tried to strangle her. He only stopped choking Pang when Harry Nilsson physically intervened. Jeez, and that guy was, I mean, a party monster. If that guy is the one who's stopping you, you know there's a problem. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. It just goes into the whole, you know, abusing women thing. It didn't stop when he was interviewing and saying, like, oh, I used to beat up women. I still do. Right. He said, I used to beat women. I still do. It's just I used to, too. I strangle (laughs) them now. He's like Homer Simpson choking out Bart. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And so that was uh, about the end of their affair, I suppose. John returned to Yoko. And she gave birth to another son for John in 1975, Sean Lennon. Sean. So there's a guy I've heard of. Yeah. I've heard of Sean Lennon. He's more okay. our age. Yeah. he's. And in fact, he had a really great album in around 2006 that was a killer album and didn't hear from him afterwards or whatever. But John would apparently try to be a better father to Sean than he had been to Julian. Sometimes making this abundantly clear to Julian, who on occasion was lucky enough to get an invite to visit his dad and his new family in New York. Oh, yeah. Says Julian, quote, I used to get shouted at a lot and dad would yell at me for laughing too much, like, be quiet, Sean's sleeping, all sorts of strange things. I was a bit jealous, but never said anything. Did you hear about the time that Julian goes to visit with Yoko and John and Sean at Christmas time? And he goes up to New York and he's hanging out with them. And they, you know, they give him, you know, like a couple presents. It comes presents time and, you know, they give him a couple presents. But then, I mean, like Julian's playing with Sean and he's looking around and he's like, fuck, like he's looking around at their apartment yeah. and it's up in New York. It's overlooking Central Park. Yeah, the Dakota. It's, it's, it's amazing. And it's fully furnished. I mean, just in the most lavish of details. Mm-hmm. And he's looking around, he's looking at. Sean's room it's got every toy that he could ever want and then he's got to go home back to his apartment with his mom which is nowhere even close to what it was it's almost like the stable boy got called up to the house for dinner and then he got sent back out to the barn but that's fucking John's son yeah I don't care what kind of problem you got going on with the mother Cynthia. right right you don't treat your son like that he never treated Julian great you know what I'm saying it was always bad he slapped him and all that sort of shit like that too and then of course, the songs he wrote. Okay, yeah, so that's another thing that I've got an issue with. Let's look at the music that was inspired by his children for John. To start off with, maybe it would be different if he had always been like this. Or maybe if after Sean was born, he realized how important children were to him and he went back and reconciled with Julian. Mm-hmm. But he didn't. He put Sean on the pedestal and Julian was nothing but the redheaded stepchild. One day, Julian comes home from school with a drawing that he had made, and it was a picture of his school friend floating around in the sky with a bunch of stars around him. And the girl's name was Lucy. 
Now, John is actually, he's like, wow, this is a pretty cool picture. And John writes Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Mm -hmm. I bet um, the picture sucked, though. Honestly. Yeah, he was fine. It's not, It was a, a stick figure with some stars. Oh, here we are. My next hit single. Now, you know, side note, people often disagree about whether this is the true story of the song or if it's a reference to the psychedelic LSD. drug LSD, oh, Lucy, this Sky Diamonds. Hella acid. They did. Hella LSD, yeah. Okay, but let's just say for the sake of arguments. Let's just say that he was inspired by his son. All right. Now, damn, this is an awesome song. And I think anybody would be humbled to say that this song was inspired by them. I mean, it's a great fucking song. What songs did John write for Sean? Well, the song that John wrote for Sean was called Beautiful Boy. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty much a love song yeah. to a son. It talks on the subject of being excited about all the different stages of his life and how the monsters are now gone. That dad's here. Yeah. All right. And the chorus is just Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful boy. Then at the end of the song, he says the chorus again, followed by darling, 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 Sean. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine how shitty that is for Julian? Yeah. Like when dad is sitting here writing songs like beautiful boy for your stepbrother, but mm -hmm. fucking shunning you on the side. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Julian was always honest about it. He was just like, I don't want to really talk about my dad. I mean, I'll talk about him, but Jesus Christ, like it hurt. My dad was a dick to me. It sucks. You know. Yeah, and then on the flip side, Paul writes, hey, Jude, for Julian. Right, yeah. You know what I mean? That's, uh, yeah. fuck John Lennon in that sense. You well, know? it's true. And I mean, even the point you're talking about him putting Sean on a pedestal, I mean, how much better was he to Sean than to Julian? Well, he at least pulled back on the physical assaults from what I could gather, but that didn't mean he wasn't still in the habit of screaming at his latest son. Sean recalls at one point, he was teaching me how to cut and eat steak, which is a mystery to me at the age of four. How to stick the fork in and cut behind it, and that was how you got a piece in your mouth. I think it was that night when he got very upset with me. I think because of something I did very cheekily with the steak. He did wind up yelling at me very, very loudly to the point where he damaged my ear, and I had to go to the hospital. But don't worry, because Sean did recall him feeling bad about it. Oh. Quote, I remember when I was lying on the floor and hurting and him holding me and saying, I'm so sorry. Like, quote, I'm super sorry about screaming in your ear until it bleeds, little fella. My bad. What a fucking dick, man. Yeah. So even his winner, the one he chose that would be his choice son. His prize horse. He's yeah. still grabbing him by the head and screaming in his ear. Yeah. Yeah, and make his ears bleed. Yeah. Oh, Yikes. God. Yeah. The period of 1975 to 1980 saw almost nothing productive musically coming from John. John and he his He was the house husband, right? That was one of That's the DLC right. and Oko. 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 Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He and him and Yoko. Yoko came up with, yeah. That's right, yeah. John and his PR people would explain that he had simply been taking time off to be a house husband and help raise his son, Sean. But this is a questionable explanation for a number of people. There are at least two books that portray this time period for Lennon in an entirely different fashion. They both assert that in reality, Lennon was simply out of his mind on drugs, living like a recluse in his New York City, Dakota apartment watching television all day, and leaving the care of Sean to his domestic servants. One of the books, Nowhere Man, The Final Days of John Lennon, is based on Lennon's own diaries and seems to corroborate this explanation. And knowing the history of John's parenting efforts, it does seem significantly more likely an explanation than the Lennon staying home to bake bread stories he likes to offer. Yeah, up. he yeah. definitely uh, threw that one out there. You know, there was Lemmy of Motorhead. You know what he said of John Lennon? Mm -mm. He recently passed, right? Mm -hmm. Nah. R.I.P. Yeah. 
All right. Well, um, I, I wasn't a huge Motorhead guy. I wasn't either a Motorhead fan, but you have to respect who he was. He was a legend in the rock game. Oh, you got to respect the game, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Okay. Dave Grohl said that more than any rock musician, he is the baddest motherfucker in the world. This is for your boy from Nirvana. I anyway, guess. Hold on. What did Lemmy say about John, though? <laughs> Lemmy said that John was the asshole of the band. Basically, that if you read his books, he's not the peace-loving nice guy that you heard about either. He did concede, though, that Lennon came a long way from his writings in 64, but he basically said he was the asshole of the band. So Lemmy was way ahead of the curve on calling John Lennon an asshole. Oh, way ahead of the curve. He was the hipster. I also heard that all of the Beatles looked up to Lennon big time because he was the oldest. They thought he was the most musically proficient. He really was. Uh, he was. Hey, well, Paul, of the band. Him and Paul, yeah, him they and Paul. fought yeah. for that title. But they but. said because he was the kind of the elder statesman of the band, all the Beatles... One quote I read was like, they thought he was the Elvis of the Beatles. Yeah. They all yeah. kind of looked up to him and, you know, just thought he walked on water while they were in their prime. Obviously, yeah. once they broke up, there was a lot of beef going on and diss tracks Certainly, and all the other yeah. shit we talked about. Yeah, but sure. They did. They all kind of looked up to Lennon as the mainstay of the band and kind of the head man. Yeah. Lennon was the one that put the band together. And yeah. what's interesting, too, is that their manager, Epstein, dies. Paul took that leadership role yeah, mm-hmm. and sort of rolled through that. And even if you look at, like, for instance, we're talking about, like, music we appreciate from the Beatles. In my mind, the second half of Abbey Road is stellar. It's amazing. But sure. that was all Paul. Like, John was cashed out with Yoko and was just like, I'm done with it. Paul put that entire second half together. And it was musically interesting in that Paul pieced every single song on that second half into one giant song, which was really sort of innovative uh, at the time for rock and roll music. Yeah, it was a big journey that you yeah, went on. Yeah, it was. It just played continuously, so it felt like one giant song, but it was like five songs. And, you know, I mean, like I said, dude, they were incredible musicians. I, I mean, people don't really understand that, I think, for the sort of songs they put together. But I know I play guitar a little bit and stuff like that, but go play Blackbird and tell me how fucking easy that is to play on an acoustic guitar. It's fucking incredibly hard, and they just wrote that on a whim, you know? They did, and that actually kind of plays into a little bit of that, I don't know if any of the audience saw uh, that movie yesterday that came out just about a year ago I or did, so. I watched that one. And I thought it was a pretty good movie, but it was, it was all right. It was all right, but it is basically based on the fact of the world resets and the Beatles are gone and only like four people remember Some them. Indian guy writes all the Beatles songs. And yeah. becomes a huge yeah. star based yeah. on it. Now, I, I saw the premise to it and I was like a 60 year old white man wrote that movie and it's so masturbatory. <laughs> imagine, <laughs> imagine that the Beatles never existed and like it's But only four people in the world remember them. Yeah. And it changes the world. Again, that's what I'm talking about. It's problematic to me. I'm like, they had good music but Jesus Christ, they didn't change the world. Like the, the Bill and Ted's premise of the the initial like uh, excellent adventure is hilarious because they somehow changed the world through a rock song they made. It's so stupid that it's laughable. <laughs> and yet an entire generation actually talks about the Beatles as if they were Bill and Ted in that sense. They're like, it changed everything, man. Uh, have I you think guys that seen was a very adequate comparison? Have you guys seen the new Bill and Ted's? I have, I have not it. seen I it yet. I watched it this weekend. Very well done. Much better than I anticipated it to be. Keanu now, Reeves and Alex Winter both, they lit it up. They did a good job. They did a really good job kind of passing the torch to, I'm not going to get too far into it, but their daughters. But they did a good job upholding the Bill and Ted. They didn't play the like total moron doofus. Right. Sam Dimas high school football rules. Right. Yeah. Uh, but no, it was it was well done. It was pretty well done. Honestly, to the fact that my wife was like, that was actually way better than I thought. So now, the one question I have is that I've been hearing a lot of flack about Keanu Reeves not having a beard or a mustache. 
in this movie, did that actually throw you at any time throughout? Not the movie? in the slightest. It would be weird slightest. if he did in my mind because he didn't have one in the first two. So. Yeah, but in some of the previews, he just does look a little bit different than mm-hmm. I've come to expect. Shh, to they're see fucking him. old. That's yeah. it. They're fucking. It's true. Fifty yeah. plus. Yeah, but that's what Hollywood is not supposed to be. Yeah, old. Yeah. Well, you know. I have to check it out because I love Bill and Ted. I do. I loved that Dude, original movie. I would. I would pay the twenty bucks on demand and go watch it. Yeah. Nice. I'm yeah. going nice. to. It's it was good. Be, it was pretty good. I I enjoyed it because of the nostalgia yeah. and a lot of the just. It was well done. I'll yeah. just leave it at that. Yeah. In 1980, Lennon returns to music with his final album, Double Fantasy. According to the book, The Lies of John Lennon, which is admittedly very controversial. Lennon's cocaine habit at this point had become so bad that he had booked plastic surgery to repair his damaged nasal septum. Oh, damn. Good now, for him. in my mind, his drug addiction, whether it's as bad as it was made out in the book, doesn't mean much to me in the score of whether he's an asshole or not. If it's true, it's certainly unfortunate for Sean and Yoko, who herself was supposedly battling a heroin addiction at the time. But I don't view drug addiction as a moral failing, just a sad case that warrants medical treatment and not judgment. Man, 100%. talk about a fucking random Friday night with those two. Yeah. He's coked out of his mind. She's fucking laid down on the couch, just shot up and shot out. Yeah, they're a living speedball. And, <laughs> yeah. and Sean's cutting steak the wrong way. Yeah, that's right. right? He's slapped yeah. up. Yeah. That's where we're at here. <laughs> they're, the, they're the human couple of that is a speedball. They, they both killed John Belushi. Yeah. But John would never be able to get this treatment because just one month after the release of Double Fantasy, he is gunned down in front of his apartment building by Mark David Chapman. Lennon's murder undoubtedly alters the public view and historical narrative forever just like it did for almost every celebrity with an untimely expiration. It washed away any negatives and accentuated all the positives. Lennon became somewhat of a martyr. After all, it's impolite to speak negatively of the dead, especially those lost to pointless violence. He would go on to be the de facto patron saint of the baby boomer generation. So I've been to the archway at the Dakota where he was gunned down. There's not oh, a wow. lot. Yeah, there's not a lot of fanfare. It is. So if you go to New York City, it's on the west side of Central Park. There's not a memorial. There's nothing there that shows it. It's the Dakota building, but the archway is right there. If you Google where he was shot, yep. it's kind of crazy because kinda there's crazy a, to stand there and oh, imagine yeah. that's yeah. where that Well, happened. there's a picture of Mark David Chapman having Lennon autograph an right. album, yep. uh, a copy of Double Fantasy. Yep. Oh, wow. Um, five hours before. Yep. He waits. And then, yep. And he goes to the recording studio and comes back in a limousine with Yoko Ono and Chapman was there. Right there at the archway. There's a security gate. It's literally an arch security gate as you walk in and go through the door. And that's where he shot him in the back four yeah, times. Geez. And there's not a, like I said, there's no memorial there. The Dakota nothing. won't allow it because, but because the Dakota itself is basically a memorial as a yeah. building. Yeah. But, yeah. but seriously, if you just turn around a 180 right across the street in Central Park, you walk in maybe a hundred yards and there's the big Imagine Memorial. If you've yeah. ever seen that in Central Park, it's just a big circle of concrete that has the words Imagine. And there's always flowers and there's yeah. always people there taking pictures. And yeah, it's kind of the memorial to Lennon right yeah. across the street, pretty much. Could you imagine writing something so prolific that it's forever memorialized inside of Central Park inside of New York? Yeah. That's insane. What where his ashes were spread is Strawberry Fields. Yeah, that's where Yoko Ono took his ashes and spread them was in the area that's now known as Strawberry Fields in Central yeah. Park. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think it was Strawberry Fields before, and then he that's why he, he named the song after. Okay, or whatever. And that's where but, she went to dump him. Right, but if you want to get sort of a mindset for Yoko Ono as well, to me it's sort of disgusting that the next album she put out. 
the cover of that album was just a picture of his glasses with the blood on them. Fuck uh, that! After, yeah, I did killed. not know that. Yeah, you can. Yeah, it's it's. She's there's questions about her. I'm not gonna get. We she's can a bit do, of a twat, from what I gather. We yeah. can do a whole show on Yoko Ono. I'm not really gonna get into that, but I'm always just kind of like. So that's the thing. You're talking about riding coattails. Yeah. Here's the thing that I hate. Yoko Ono's net worth is somewhere around six hundred million dollars. Are yeah. you serious? Yeah, the Beatles. Million. Yeah. Wow. Her son, Sean Ono's net worth is approximately two hundred million dollars. Yeah. Right. Is that Sean Lennon? Yeah, Sean, okay. Sean Lennon. Julian Lennon, his net worth right now is approximately fifty million. But he had to have attorneys sue Yoko. Yeah. And after sixteen years of legal struggles to win a portion of his father's estate, Julian won a court battle in nineteen ninety six entitling him to a twenty million pound share of his father's estimated two hundred and fifty million pound estate. Yeah. They're yeah. all paid. Person. What's interesting to me is that Julian has never been shy or coy about his hatred for Yoko, but him and Sean are actually pretty close now. I would hope oh. they're brothers. Yeah, yeah. still, uh, yeah, someone's trashing your mom and Sean's, you know. But they're still, they're, they're, I don't know. I mean, like I said, it's it's unfortunate. The whole situation. It'd be an sucks. interesting Thanksgiving. I'll tell you that. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I don't know. Sean uh, Lennon has put out some actually really good albums and stuff like that. It's just the whole situation sucks, you know. And but Mark David go. Chapman, like he didn't i guess he didn't put up much of a fight in the legal system his attorney told him look plead not guilty let's try to you know get this thing down a little bit but he's like nope fuck it i killed him i shot him pled, yeah. pled guilty and i uh, got 20 to life yeah i don't know he's if still he's... serving he just got refused um parole here recently actually, okay so, all right yeah you know. but there you go so that's, uh, that's that's john lennon guys so interesting all right good all right so for me it's hard for me to like John Lennon. I know that he wrote a lot of great songs and stuff like that, but I look at the history with his son and with his wives and stuff like that. He's a habitual wife beater or woman beater. Yeah. He didn't give a shit about his son, Julian, mm -hmm. and then put Sean on a pedestal. And I just, I don't like that. Except for the whole screaming in his ear thing, but yeah. But even still, he put him on a pedestal in the public eye while right. shunning his son, Julian, in the public Fair eye. Fair true. So, you know, I just, it doesn't sit well for me. Usually on this show, we have a barometer of about seven being where people start murdering people. Yeah. And that's usually, <laughs> you know, that's usually about the tipping point, give or take. Right. John Lennon didn't murder anybody, but I think he is an absolute piece of shit as an actual person. Harsh. All right. And cool. that's like what it. we're judging this on. Yeah. We're not judging him on his Musical nobility ability. court. Yeah. We're judging him on asshole court. And mm -hmm. I think... When you show that kind of attitude or emotion towards women and children, you get way up there in my book. So I'm giving John Lennon a 6.9 okay. as my final asshole score. It's not a 7 because I don't think he killed anybody, no. but he's right up there pushing the limits. And going back, my initial score was higher than both of you guys because I, I did know some of what he had done mm -hmm. in the past leading up to the show. Like you said, buddy, not a big fan of the womanizing. He had cheated multiple times. He cheated on his first wife with Yoko and then cheated on Yoko with the assistant. May Pang. May Pang. Yeah, exactly. So, and there was a lot of cheating going oh, on yeah, between just that. A habitual womanizer, but just his general assholery, it rings pretty clear. I mean, you kind of, like I said, he, I think he had a God complex. He was a womanizer, didn't treat his kids very well. He brought in that fucking bitch that broke up the Beatles, as everybody would say. Um, you know, music legend, but all in all, at the end of the day, kind of a shitty person. I'm going 6.99. Oh. 6.99 for John 
I like. I almost it. called him John Legend. John Legend. <laughs> John Lennon. Yeah, yeah. Chrissy Teigen's like, that's not my John. <laughs> Those are pretty good scores, and it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you're slapping your kid in the face, screaming in one's ear, cheating, beating up women, it's hard. Like I said, and honestly, buddy, I think you did a great job in like sort of outlining the number that we should be at based on murder and rape and stuff like that. 6.92. I think that's All good. Right. All right. So with a 6.9 from Buddy, a 6.9 from Mikey, and a 6.99 from Randy, John Lennon's final asshole score is a 6.93. Okay. There you go. 6.93. Yeah, All right. Seems about right. For she fits, I book. believe. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Imagine a world where you don't beat your kid up. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Imagine. Imagine. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's a pretty accurate score for him. So, uh, yeah, 6.93. On John Lennon. There you go, guys. Awesome. We hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Asshole Court. As always, give us a shout on social media if you have any ideas for future subjects. Give us a like on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at AHC Podcast. We hope you guys have a great week. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time on Asshole Court. <laughs>